Namaskar and welcome to NFL Masala. I'm your co-host Anant. And I'm your other co-host Rakshak. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 21 of NFL Masala, where we talk about all the latest happenings in the NFL with a little bit of spice. How you doing today, Anant? Uh, at least India's winning in cricket, so I'll have that. That is true. In F1, Max Verstappen is losing, so I'll have that. <laughs> but NFL football, that's a, that's a whole nother that's story. That's the right thing. Now. Definitely, mm-hmm. man. That's the only thing that matters now this week at the moment. That is NFL football. And we are the best to break it down. <laughs> I hope so. Let's see now. Uh, starting with, you know, some Damakadar news. But before we hit our Damakadar news, let me at least talk about what we are doing for this episode, and that is recapping week seven and previewing week eight. So in terms of the week seven recap, we got Packers versus Broncos, Eagles and Dolphins, and then our Masala games of the week. Now, before I get ahead of myself, let's go with some Tamakadar news. And this is actually the first bit of news is regarding the Packers versus Broncos game, in which you had one of the Broncos safeties, Kareem Jackson, having a unnecessary hit on Luke Musgrave after the play ended. Um, And that was more of a head-to-head contact. So for that reason, he was given a flag. And then he was also ejected for just the first offense, which typically would happen after the second offense. So what happens for a disqualification of a player due to uh, unsportsmanlike conduct? is that mm-hmm. a specific player uh, typically what happens is that, is that they're given two unsportsmanlike conducts before they are ejected from the game now this oh. can now this is not set in stone this is just a guideline Typic, uh, that's that's typically what's done but it can also be especially in this case uh, altered if the NFL officiating the main officiating crew for the NFL that resides in New York that takes these uh, secondary looks on these calls for unnecessary roughness. Let's say there's a head-to-head contact, and then you know the NFL wants to send a deeper message, or um, you know there's some officiating mistake that the NFL wants to correct. There's a team in the NFL uh, in you know, NFL headquarters in New York that looks over all of these games and are requested whenever the on-field umpires for a particular game, you know, request for this team. So in this case. The NFL uh, main team from New York said to the officiating crew of the Broncos and Packers game that you have to eject Kareem Jackson because, you know, they violate he violated their rules for unnecessary roughness. And so therefore he was ejected when, you know, he struck Luke Musgrave in the head, which ended up Musgrave going into, uh, you know, concussion protocol and then during the game, he was also being held out due to an ankle injury. And then at the end of the game, he was in a walking boot after the game. So now the judge for this ruling was the NFL vice president of football operations, John Runyon, who was the, you know, Eagles famous offensive lineman and yep, the father, former Eagle, uh-huh. former Eagle John Runyon. Mm-hmm. And the he's also the father of the Packers current starting right guard, John Runyon Jr. Um, basically saying that 
you know, you delivered a forceful blow to the head or neck area of a defenseless receiver. When you have the time and space to avoid such contact, you could have made contact with your opponents within the rules, yet you, cho yet you chose not to. So this, uh, you know, was basically why Kareem Jackson was ejected. And he was also suspended for four games for multiple roughness fouls. And this goes back to... Um, uh, the commanders where he had a similar flagrant hit and he had to pay about $90,000 in fines. So then, then the, the, this, this is just the start of it, right? So he gets ejected from the game first on Sunday, then October 23rd. So five days ago. So that would make it what Monday he was uh, stated to have been suspended for four games because of these repeated fouls. Then. He appealed this suspension, and it was knocked down to uh, to just two games. So now Kareem Jackson suspended for two games for multiple roughness calls for this season. That is the Damakadar breaking news. Huh. I don't know how I feel about it, but yeah, whatever. Yeah, it was it was an unfortunate incident, but I think it's too severe, honestly. Um there have been much more worse hits than than what happened to Luke Musgrave. Yeah. So, I don't know. Anyways, moving on to the next one. I mean, that's like the equivalent of, of banning Vontez Burfecht. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but Vontez Burfecht was a whole other thing. Yeah. He, he's his own thing. Um, yeah. I will not get to that, but with this... We actually have breaking the market in our news today. This was reported by the man, the myth, the legend himself from ESPN, Mr. Adam Schefter. The Tennessee Titans have informed their all-pro, the Pro Bowl running back Derrick Henry this week that they do not plan to trade him despite receiving inquiries about the Pro Bowl running back, league sources told ESPN. However, this doesn't mean he won't be traded by Deuces 4 p.m., Eastern Standard Time deadline, Titans simply told Henry they don't intend to move him. So, I mean, this is very interesting because Derrick Henry, um, I mean, like, it, right now, I would understand why the Titans are trying to explore trade possibilities for Henry. He's got, He has an expiring contract, and he's going to be a free agent. Of course, another thing, he turns 30 in January, and he's due to make $6.4 million for the rest of the season. However, and and I think like it's gonna be like if he were to be traded, um, according to Schefter, um, there would be have to be like an agreement in place by the end of Thursday because any acquiring team, you need to modify his contract for sale for salary cap savings, and and probably by Monday, twenty four hours before the deadline, you need to have a res a restructured contract agreement by four p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Monday. What are your thoughts? Honestly, I think the Titans should just start selling. Like they're they have been in such a limbo for the past two years um, on whether or not to you know invest for a playoff run or you know tank and then try and and get some draft capital and some young blood in the team. Like you have some really good players that you can go you know, continue developing your team with. You have Jeff Simmons. You have others. Um, 
You got mm-hmm. Traylon Burks. <laughs> <laughs> right. You, you have you have Traylon Burks. Sure. And don't forget you have Terrell Edmonds. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> oh boy. Um yeah, you have Andre Dillard, you know. Keith <laughs> Garonsky. That's good. Um you got Harold Landry, who who's still there, who's still performing at a very nice clip. You still have Sean Murphy Bunting, who's a nice young rookie. Uh, not rookie, but he's a nice young corner. You have Christian Fulton. Like you have players that you can you can work with and develop in the next two three years if you were to tank this year. But are they going to do that? I don't know. I mean, Ryan Tannehill is out, which means either Will Levis or Malik Willis are starting, and we don't even know who. So. Cut your losses. Ty J Spears is not a it's not like he's a scrub. He's a really good running back. Right? In 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 receipt. He needs more touches. Right. And it's not so, you know, he's capable of being the lead back for the Titans if you're worried about offensive degradation, but it's not like you have to worry about that because y'all suck. Um sorry, <laughs> but not sorry. Yeah, but like, but don't forget, don't don't they also have um Hassan Haskins, whom they got from Michigan, who's the who is good at itself. You might as well create a two running back system from there. You he's don't... on IR, unfortunately. Oh damn! But for the yeah. future, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like you guys have the pieces. Just let Derrick Henry go to a championship contender team, and maybe he could probably like you know win a Super Bowl if he gets to the right team. Could you imagine him on the Dolphins? <laughs> Dude, no, I don't think the Dolphins have it because right now, A-Shane, no, def- uh, I've heard so many different pronunciations, but Devon Ashane, please don't come after me, Texas A&M fans. No, you know what? Come after me because your team's, your your college still yeah. sucks, by the way. Y'all just lost to Kansas. To, oh, wait, no, no, no. That was Oklahoma. That was Oklahoma. Never mind. Oh, you sucks. Anyways. Uh, yeah, but anyway, you know, it'd be really interesting. If Howie Roseman was able to pull up a deal and grab Derrick Henry. I don't know, man. I don't know. I think, <laughs> oh, if y'all get Derrick Henry. Ooh. <laughs> Derrick Henry behind that O-line. Oh, my God. Watch out. Watch out. You would win the NFC. That's for sure. No, we'll win the whole damn thing. The Chiefs won't be able to stop a damn thing with that O line. That is fair. That is fair. The Chiefs defense. And we'll have us and we'll have a shirt for Chris Jones saying zero sacks. I mean, <laughs> hey, if you're Howie and this is like one of the last years that you can get a, a really good team on the cards, go for it. Like, yeah. Go for it. You've already done that with um with Kevin Byard. Yeah, we'll get to we'll get to that one, ladies and gentlemen, later on. But yeah, yeah. go ahead. So yeah, I mean it's just like who what other teams would you want Derrick Henry to be traded to if they wanted to trade? Like, let's say hypothetically. Let's hope that it's not the Cowboys. Yeah, no. No Cowboys, that's for sure. They wouldn't even know what to do with him. I would imagine Derrick Henry to the to the Ravens because I don't know what's going on with that running back room. It looks like the football gods only want Lamar Jackson to be the running back and quarterback, honestly. I mean, they're having a good running back by committee, 
with hmm. Gus Edwards and Justice Hill. But yeah, if Derrick Henry goes there, that'll solidify them for a top two spot in the AFC. That's for sure. Definitely. Because their defense is phenomenal. Lamar Jackson's playing out of his mind right now. The hiring and, of Todd Munkin makes so much sense. Right. Now it does because it's finally gelling into, in, into place. So yeah, I mean, Derrick Henry to the Ravens is really good. Derrick Henry to the Bills, I mean, like, we would want that because it would maybe supercharge the Bills' offense a little bit. Um, I don't know who else. Like, Niners don't need him. Hmm. I mean, nobody else. Like, there are only a few contender teams, right? You, you got the Niners and the Eagles from the NFC. You no, make two. that Eagles and then Niners. Okay, because... Eagles and then Niners. I wasn't placing them in order, but okay, fine. Eagles and Niners. And then you got the Chiefs, the Ravens, the Dolphins, the Bills to an extent, and that's it. Like five, four, five, five, maybe six contenders. And I feel like only two or three of them would really utilize Derrick Henry uh, extensively. So, I don't know. We'll see, but I, yeah, it, it's a telltale sign if the Titans don't want to sell Henry uh, Derrick Henry. That means they still believe that they can at least get into the playoffs, which I don't like for Titans fans because, you know, you, you deserve, you deserve a, a good reset because Ryan Tannehill ain't it. Malik Willis... Not it. Will Levis, eh, he hasn't shown anything. You need a couple more wide receivers because your wide receiving core ain't it. You don't have a good tight end. So your um, offensive weaponry besides Derrick Henry and Tajay Spears, not really that good. So yeah. I don't know. Anyways, let's... before we digress too much, let's move on to the next piece of the market of our news. That being Mr. Homework Man. Tyler Murray, he did not do his homework again, which is why he is not going to be activated <laughs> for the Cardinals wow. for Sunday's game. Um, he does not have an official injury designation, but they're placing they're facing the Baltimore Ravens, so he is so you know Kyler Murray is not going to be activated, and there you know some rumors that he might be traded. We'll see, but he should be traded like. Yes, his 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 contract is horrendous, um, and uh, that he has, I think, like you know, sixty or seventy million dollars in dead cap in the next two, like this year and next year, I believe. So, I don't know how or why anybody would go for Kyler Murray. He's a good QB, but he needs to be in the right system with a good set of you know, offensive weaponry to actually be successful. Uh, he's not Lamar Jackson. He maybe has a game or two in him to mm -hmm. become like Lamar Jackson, but not really that much. So, yeah, I mean, this, this situation is one to definitely watch out. Um, it, it's just more indications that Kyler Murray is out of favor for the Arizona Cardinals. They already moved on to the, from their head coach and their, um, GM combo previously. Now they have a whole new head coach and GM combo that are not affiliated with Kyler Murray. 
And, you know, there were, it's not like Kyler Murray was a great locker room presence in and of itself where he would be missed by the team a lot. He wasn't, right? He, he wasn't that favored by many of the locker room, uh, you know, many members of the Cardinals fan base and yeah. the team. So, yeah, that's it from the Cardinals, uh, Kyler Murray news. What about yours? Well, we uh, unfortunately we end this segment with Pachara news. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> um, shout out to Oversimplified for that. Um, so this is according on Friday, um, the twenty seventh, according to Adam Tasher of ESPN. He mentioned that Chiefs wide receiver Justin Ross has been placed on the NFL's commissioner exempt list after being arrested this week on charges of domestic battery and criminal damage to property of less than $1,000. He may not practice or play well on the exempt list. And he was practicing with the Chiefs on Wednesday and Thursday before he was placed on it. So... And apparently he pleaded not guilty on Tuesday and all that. So I don't want to talk about it, but I, all I know, it was a domestic battery charge and um, there's some property damage involved and that's about it. Yeah, just gross, brah. Yeah, not much we can do. It's just something to... It's It's not good. It's not good. But anyways, let's not digress on bad news. Let's move on to some football bad news, and that is the Packers oh. versus Broncos. <laughs> Damn. Uh, you know what? I will give you the entire thing to rant, man. It is The floor is all yours. Like, honestly, go ahead. Never have I slept during a Packers game in the 14 years that I've been watching them. They finally made me do it. They finally made me that bored about watching football where I turned off from a Packers game. I mean, how, what do I rant here? Like, it's the same old, same old offensive ineptitude. LaFleur with a weak game plan, the same basic inside zone run scheme, a lack of motion in plays. There's, you know, play action plays that take way too long to develop. They try to throw it short and quick, but the plays are not executed well with the lack of qualified players. And then it's boring to watch until the third quarter where they actually do something. But it's like the same pattern of coming out flat from a long break just continues. It, it started way you know during Aaron Rodgers first year where that game where we traveled to LA to face the Chargers uh sorry at that time I guess it was San Diego to face the Chargers and we lost like 26-13 surprisingly because there was just no execution everybody looked flat everybody at that time I thought it was Aaron Rodgers fault because you know he wouldn't be that interested in practicing but no it's it's a LaFleur problem because that problem has continued to this year like the Bears was the only game 
where we didn't where we came out well and executed well after a long break. And I was like, okay, I see something successful, but it's just instead of progressing, they've significantly regressed. Right? So um it's it's the same old, same old mistakes. It's the game plan not being effective or creative enough in the first half, especially. So that's that's the same thing that should be installed by all the coaches to ensure proper effectiveness of play. So I don't know what they would what they need to do to be more effective in terms of game planning because the second half they were really good. Right. And yeah, I, I don't want to be such a negative Nancy, but it's like it's so depressing to watch us, you know, obviously I, I wasn't alive in the 80s. You know, I was born in 99, so I would not know about you know the Packers ineptitude for 20 years before they got Brett Favre. But. For me, it sucks watching this type of Packers team because even in Aaron Rodgers, um, you know, unsuccessful seasons, you could point that to a couple of reasons, right? But it was like, you know, typically, oh, Aaron Rodgers is injured. We don't really have a good backup plan. That's why we're losing. But this one, like, I guess because we didn't have any expectations, I was just... I thought that we would be a little bit better. At least I thought we would be a top 15 offense. Maybe not a top 10, but not this. Like, this is sad. Um, in terms of the passing, really, the running game was actually pretty on point. Um, we had 4.7 yards per carry, 137 total rushing yards, and then A.J. Dillon actually looked energetic with a lot of downhill momentum. He kind of looked like Derrick Henry because that's what he was billed out to be. You know, this was, you know, sport, uh, not spoiler alert, but asterisk. This was against the worst rushing defense in the league. So it's nothing to keep your head about. But that's what you're supposed to do. Right. This is what you're supposed to do. So it is it is good news. I'm not saying that is bad news. It is good news. Um, That's the only bright spot. Everything else was trash. The whole line was still leaking pressures and causing penalties. Again, we're the ninth highest in the league in terms of penalties per game. And this game, we had seven penalties for six, 56 yards, including the game-ending penalty, which converted a third and short at, um, you know, deep into the last drive of the game to a second and 20, and we couldn't improve from there. And then Love, Jordan Love did Jordan Love things. He underthrew a deep ball that was a pick. Now, a little bit more context for this throw. I don't know if he was purposefully underthrowing the ball to get a DPI. Now, that's if the receiver jumped back into the DB, but the receiver didn't. Or it's either, uh, you know, it, it's Jordan Love just having a horrible deep ball accuracy. Right. Either way, this should be something that coaches need to iron out. Right. This is the responsibility of the coach. 
iron out mistakes, prevent talented players from making stupid mistakes, especially young players like the Packers offense from making stupid mistakes. And like, if you're Jordan Love, I get you sat, you know, behind three years behind Aaron Rodgers, right? Aaron Rodgers does the, the, these type of things, right? He purposefully underthrows a deep ball so that, let's say, Devontae Adams it goes and tries to get it, but the defensive back hinders him, causing a DPI at, like, the one-yard line, right? That's that's the stuff that they would do. But that's because Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers have a eight-year history and was one of the most prolific wide receiver QB duos in the past five, ten years, right? They They were magical together. You don't have that chemistry with Jordan Love or any of the receivers. So, you know, as coaches, you have to instruct Love, don't do Aaron Rodgers stuff. Like, yes, I know this is what you saw. I know this is what, you know, some Packers fans expect of you. But you have to play smart, young, smart football. You cannot play like the veterans of Aaron Rodgers caliber. Because... It's yeah. you it's have a completely different team. You don't have the chemistry. You don't have the wherewithal. You don't have the veteran experience of of and and knowledge and wisdom of of making those plays. You are talented, but you are not that experienced. So you need to stick within the system. Like in that in in that play, he had a. A decently wide open player running a dig route for about 15 yards. Now it was second and 20. So if you get a, let's say, 13 to 15 yard pickup, that becomes third and five. Now that's a much more manageable, much more manageable conversion attempt than just chucking it deep 65 yards because you can throw the football. Like, it's the same exact thing as the Raiders game, right? You saw that Christian Watson was open at the end of the game, right? But Jordan Love underthrew the football, and the defensive back, credit to him, made a brilliant move of going up and getting the football. And that was another game-ending interception. Like, unless these wide receivers have, like, eight yards of separation or you have the finesse and the touch to get the football there. Do not attempt these type of throws at the end of the game. This should be something that coaches coach. Like, this is something that they need to teach. I don't know what they're doing, but this ain't it, Chief. This ain't it. Besides Jordan Love, as I was mentioning, the O-line was not doing its job. Multiple times, they were leaking lots of pressures. Now, a possible theory to this is that the previous year's O-line coach, Adam Stenovich, was good. You also had David Bakhtiari, peak David Bakhtiari. But under Adam Stenovich, this offensive line was really, really good. Now, he's the offensive coordinator. The game plan is not good. And he's not doing a good job there. And then the O-line coach that we have, Luke Butkus, that's right, relative of Dick Butkus, uh, not doing a good job either. So it's 
it's painful to watch this um, in the first half, especially. Somehow in the second half, we uh, we are leading the league in second half EPA per play, which means we're the most explosive team in the second half per play. I don't know how. I don't know where how this this statistic is is being created <laughs> at this point, bro. Huh? That is just mind blowing, right? Right? There. Like, what? My wish is why can't we perform like that during the first half? What's going on in these, you know, game planning sessions throughout the entire week? This is the same thing that's been happening for four weeks now. Four weeks we have played like this, flat in the first half, trying to come back in the second, but it was too much to overcome. Now, enough of the offense. I, I want to talk a little bit about the defense. I want to give a, a bit of credit to them. They did keep the Broncos to under 20 points, but they did allow Denver to do what Denver does, and that's run the football. They ran 25 times for 145 yards, 5.8 yards per carry. Javante Williams, what did I say that you know Denver was going to do to get um to get this victory? Run the football. Who did I say was going to have a good game? Javante Williams. What happened? Denver ran the football. Javante Williams had a good game. He rushed 15 times, got, but got 82 yards. So that's 5.47 yards per carry. And it's the same old Joe Barry stuff, dude. Run of the mill, soft zone defense for most of the time. And in the goal line situations, you have strong run fronts. but this time, there was one instance where there was a rushing touchdown that got called back for Denver because of a holding penalty. And thank God it did. Because when Denver subbed into their run-heavy 13 personal package, which means one running back, three tight ends, that means you have eight run blockers in front of you. You have one QB, one running back, one wide receiver, Eight run blockers, five offensive linemen, three tight end. What do you do in that scenario as a defense, Rakshak? And mind you, this is third and goal from the one-yard line. You are an offense running a 13-personnel package. Mm -hmm. What do you do as the defense? What do you line up in? You have to... You, you basically go goal line. If you're the defense, you're trying to stop a third and goal at the one. Dude, you you crowd towards the ball, man. You have to stop the run, hundred percent. Right. right. So you don't do a four man rush with the nickel front, right? Huh? Yeah, yeah. So basically, what happened? You were supposed to get, and this is initially this is what they did was they had a run heavy front, but when the when when Denver subbed. The Packers did not sub into a run-heavy front. They uh, stayed in the nickel front, which means they had five defensive backs, meaning they did not match the amount of defensive linemen with the offensive linemen, right? They didn't go into a goal line package, which basically would mean they would probably have two, three defensive backs to match up the amount of wide receivers or receivers that you would have on the offensive side. And then the rest being linebackers and defensive linemen. So you would typically see 
you know, most of your defensive linemen lining up there, six to seven maybe, and then maybe two, uh, you know, two or three linebackers, all like you mentioned, Raksha, crowding the football because it's third and goal. Mm-hmm. Most likely, the offense in run-heavy personnel is going to run the football straight down or, you know, within those gaps. But the Packers did not do this basic thing that Madden players do. Madden football players, 12-year-old players, will sub into their goal line packages uh, uh, while playing defense. Joe Barry did not do that. He stayed in the nickel front, five defensive backs, five light human beings against eight heavy ones, and only four defensive linemen. So what happened? Javante Williams runs into the end zone. Thank God that Denver had a offensive uh, line holding penalty. Otherwise, that would have been the easiest touchdown in the history of NFL. All because Joe Barry does not know how to manufacture a run defense scheme. Or any defensive scheme for that matter. I don't know what to tell you, man. I feel like we're we're only this defense is only performing because we have talented pass rush personnel and really good, well, decent secondary, right? In Rasul Douglas, Jair, and occasionally Rudy Ford. Still, so it looks like we're in the bend but don't break defense. I still want to give credit to the defense, defensive players. Um, and a little bit of Joe Barry, I guess, to holding the opponent for under 20 points again. Now, the run game has been disastrous, but we didn't leak many points. Now, in the end, I don't see us improving that much because we've given this coaching staff ample time, ample time to... Now, if they were making different mistakes, fine. I will excuse that as, okay, you're dealing with a young team. You're dealing with an inexperienced team. There's only so much you can do as a coach when you're dealing with a lack of a talented roster. But when you're making the same exact mistakes, week in, week out, on offense, on defense, where you supposedly have seven first-round picks, you got to blame the coaches and you got to blame the GM for putting this motley crew. You also have to blame the players for not executing well. But that again, I feel like that that goes to coaches. It, you know, if, if players are making mistakes, yes, it's their job. You know, they have to be accountable. But it's also the coach's job to, you know, Give punishment to these young players. Do something, right? If you're missing tackles, I don't know, run around the football field 10 times, right? Run 10 laps. I don't care. Do something to get these boneheaded mistakes out. If you're dropping balls, you know, you have to do some sort of a punishment drill. Like, I don't know. I never played football, obviously. Um, but it's, 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 it's not fun watching the Green Bay Packers at this point. And for me this year, I don't see us improving that much, especially against some tougher teams. So 
Packers fans, prepare for one of the worst seasons you've seen in the past 25 years. That's all I'm going to say. Damn. I don't know what to tell you on that, man. But, like, honestly, when you told me about that defense, why the hell does it remind me of Jonathan Gannon not making adjustments? Yeah. I mean, the, the, but this, yes, that's that's terrible. But this is kind of worse, in, in my opinion. At least at that point, you had a, you were, you were good enough to get into the Super Bowl. Yeah, you you didn't make uh, changes at the at the end, and that's that's a whole nother thing. But this is like, dude, this is like mad at twelve year old middle school boys playing Madden football will get this right. Ninety nine mm -hmm. times out of a hundred, they oh, will yeah. know that oh, when the opposing team is in a run heavy offense and it's third and goal at the one. Most likely, they're going to run the football. So what do you do? Get in your goal line package. That's what the coaching assistant will also bring out. If you've ever played Madden defense, if you've ever played Madden and you've played you know, defense in, in a Madden game the with the coaching assistant on, in that scenario, it will only give you goal line packages or blitz packages, with, which basically means you'll have at least, at least, Half your defense crowding the line of scrimmage. Huh. Gotcha. But yeah. Anyways, let's move on to the Eagles versus Dolphins. Floor is yours. Six to one, baby. Six and one. Eagles, that is how you respond after taking a humbling and horrible loss against the Jets. The Eagles win 31 to 17. Great bounce back game for Jalen Hurts. I thought this offense did really well. Um, Jalen Hurts' final stats 23 for 31, 279 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception, and he was sacked three times. But honestly, a couple of things I thought. Number one, um, Anand, I want you to help me out on this one, if possible. Uh in, when you're in the red zone on the very first drive, what are you supposed to do? Do you get do you you make an attempt to score a touchdown, correct? Yes. Okay. Guess what happens in the very first in, in the in, in, when you're in the first goal situation, like after a good run by Dallas Scott, after a good pass with Dallas Scott. Yes. No. First and goal. Jalen Hurts. Takes a Jalen Hurts tries to QB run try had apparently they do a QB draw loss of yards for second for two yards okay second and goal what do you think they should do pass or throw um pass maybe yeah second goal to Miami ten yeah pass right but no Kenneth Gainwell for one yard <laughs> and then third and goal. <laughs> They don't pass. They throw. They they make Hurts run a QB draw for three yards. Are you freaking kidding me? Uh, that's not that, a good show of force. If that's you're not the first, the first drive, you gotta score touchdowns. I was screaming. I was like, no, more like screeching, like ah! like that dinosaur. Yes, but. <laughs> But then again, you. But then after that debacle and a Hurts fumble, which led to three points for the Dolphins, the Eagles go on two consecutive long drives. 
nine like the first drive the the one the, the first long play took nine plays 61 yards one touchdown and then the second drive took the second scoring drive the second touchdown drive took 12 plays 80 yards and um and six minutes and 49 seconds off the clock in the first half the first touchdown in the what was i think we had like the first touchdown in the red zone it was a perfect tight end screen to Dallas Goddard on National Tight End Day. I mean, what is that? I was like, when I was looking at like that, I was like thinking, oh my God, did Brian Johnson make a great play? I was calling you and saying, what am I seeing? Did the Eagles learn how to use a tight end properly and score touchdowns in the red zone? I was like, damn, that's impressive. And Jordan Mailata with some great blocking and second and the second touchdown in in, for, in that second on that second drive, you know what it was called the brotherly shove. No one can stop it. It is inevitable. And Nick Sirianni said this in a press conference. Like it's not just first and ten; it's first and nine because you know we're gonna run that play. And I know he was like taking shots at the media and everyone else are trying to ban it. And then he's. It's looking at like if anyone can do it, we could do it. I mean, if we could do it, anyone can do it. Something like that. But, but then again, the second half of the offense, the second half, it opened up with a horrible pick six that Hurts throws. To um, but then again, what does Hurts do after he commits another turnover? What do you think he does, Anand? He comes the back and plays well. Oh hell yes. They instead and, and the way they do it, they do long drives. <laughs> the um, like they go, it, it goes like on an they, like it was so great. Like they did the first one was an eight place, 75 yard drive, one touchdown with three minutes and 47 seconds burned, and then the the touchdown to end to basically seal this game was a 13 play, 83 yards. One touchdown with six minutes and 35 seconds burnt off from the clock, man. And the way that he, they were able to get those two touchdowns is because of one man. Guess who I'm... And he is my offensive MVP. Guess who that guy is going to be? Guess... You probably know who he is. A.J. Brown? A.J. Brown. A.K.A. NFC Offensive Player of the Week, Mr. Skit, Mr. Swole Batman himself. 10 receptions, 137 yards, and one touchdown. He's tied Calvin Johnson, a.k.a. Megatron, for, like, I believe he's had, like, five games of 120-plus receiving yards. That guy, I mean, how the Titans traded him to us literally blows my mind. I mean... And another sweet move that I saw in that on that um, play uh, on that 13 play drive, it was at the 50 yard line in the fourth quarter with about um, I mean it was first and ten five minutes and 44 seconds left. You know what Jalen Hurts decides to do after like running the ball and, and converting all those all, all those um down to, uh, all all those um all those all those fourth downs, he throws a bomb 42 yards to AJ Brown. He was in double coverage with um, Cater Cahoon and Andrew Van Ginkle. That, I mean, this guy is impressive. But, but um, I mean, 
I mean, of course, Devontae Smith had four receptions for 49 yards. He had a 25-yard completion, which I thought was a really good setup for one of our scores. And Dallas Goddard, he was, I think, I was really like the pass distribution Jalen Hurts was was using. Dallas Goddard, five for five, um, five receptions, 77 yards in that one touchdown. Thanks to that screen. Um, and hey, Julio Jones, the new signee, he caught himself a pass. So I was happy with that, but... One thing for sure that I noticed was that the running game was definitely weak, but it helps at some times to use it because it helps drain the clocks, and the Eagles are so damn effective at it. I mean, I, I, I got to ask you, man, what are your thoughts on those Eagles' long drives so far? I want to just get your take on this. It's what good offenses look like. That's for damn sure. Yeah, and I think, like, the, and, and, the, and here's a crazy stat. The Eagles, after this game, the Eagles were 4 for 6 in the red zone better improvement yep after that field goal they go four they go four they they go five they basically go six trips all together in the red zone four of them for touchdowns and of course the last one doesn't the last drive technically doesn't count because it was like at the end of the game but i mean deandre swift 15 rushes for 62 yards i mean it was he was effective at some points but kenny gainwell I thought it was pretty cool when he had that last that um the, the touchdown to make it 31 to 17. I think he it was a first and goal situation. I think he no second and goal. He goes on to the left side and he does like two or three. He he's basically spin moves himself to the touchdown. I'm like, bro, don't get yourself dizzy after that if you want to do a celebration. But I thought it was pretty nice. But Kenny Gainwell should not be getting too many more yards. I thought we could have seen Rashad Penny, but I'm guessing the Eagles are trying to save him because of his injury-prone history, and they want to use him in for the playoffs because I think that's where he'll be more effective. But, um, I mean, again, the biggest thing we have to talk about is Jalen Hurts' is turnovers, man. Again, two turnovers. It is not cool. But the first turnover, um, this was after the Dolphins go three and out and take a punt. Hurts. He steps back in the pocket. He takes too long, and he doesn't throw it away. And as he's about to extend his arm, Jalen Phillips comes up and makes a great play. As he makes it, I mean, no, Bradley Chubb comes after him with a good sack, and he knocks the ball off, and then Jalen Phillips comes up with a fumble recovery. The second turnover comes in the second half. I mean, hurts. What the hell was that sequence? You know that Cater Kuho, the backup, one of the backup corners, is coming after you with his hands up. You don't throw the ball to his direction. Take the sack or throw it, to, throw it away to the left side and live to fight another day. You don't want to be committing turnovers. That's what's really painful about this game. Hurts is playing so great, but as an MVP, getting like an MVP-like contract, you're supposed to play towards that. You cannot. Cannot be throwing away the ball like this. You just can't. And that's what frustrates me enough. Because Hurts is playing hurt because I thought like Hurts' best abilities is to keep the ball secure. Yet he's giving the ball play by play by play. I mean, I don't know if it's just because sometimes it was because of like a freak, a freak incident, but defenses are playing up to their task or making great plays. But Hurts, you gotta take care of the ball, man. That's what really makes it frustrating. And Coho makes a great play. He bats the ball into the hands of Jerome Baker and he runs it for a pick six. But yeah, I mean, other than that, Eagles respond pretty well. But I gotta talk about this defense. And 
I am, and part of my French, everyone, I am going to swear on this one. Eagles defense, they came to fucking play and stop the number one overall offense in the NFL. They only allowed one offensive touchdown. And how the hell do you do this, Anand? How do you force it? How do you stop a number one offense like this? What is the one defensive fundamental that you need to do? Pressure, pressure, pressure. And shutting down the run game. That was the key. Did you know that this Eagles defense held the, uh, the Dolphins to negative seven rushing yards in halftime? I get it that you were missing a couple of offensive linemen. I get it that you were missing Devon A. Shane. But, Raheem, but they were held to negative seven rushing yards in halftime, by halftime. And you ended it with 45 rushing yards at the end of the game. I mean, a lot of it, when they were trying to do toss options with Raheem Mostert and, and, um, and some jet sweeps and motions, Hassan, Hassan Reddick, was, when he was on the field, he was shutting down the run at a lot of the edges. But then when the run was shut down, Tua was forced to pass the ball. 23 for 32, 216 yards, one touchdown, one interception. I mean, I get it. Dolphins O-line was suffered huge injuries, but the Eagles pass rush, they were very disruptive. Four huge sacks, and we got one for that rookie, Nolan Smith from Georgia, from that defensive end. He, I think he had like, what, one snap, but he got a sack out of it. So congratulations. I think like all Georgia boys have a sack, except for N'Kobe Dean and Keely Ringo. So let's get those guys at it. I mean, Fletcher Cox and Jordan Davis shared... They both got half a sack. Basically, they shared one. And Josh Sweat, Josh Sweat, my God, he was disruptive as hell. You want to know his final stat line really quickly? Go ahead. He had two out of two solo tackles, two sacks, two tackles for a loss, and two QB hits. So is two his favorite number or something or what? I have no idea. I mean, but then another huge play that I thought – we noticed during, like, I think you know, the, notice this too. Like midway during, mid, uh, like midway in the second quarter, we noticed that Jalen Waddle was struggling a little bit. Yeah, and apparently it, he had some limited, he had a limited starts due to a back injury that he, um, and guess what? It forced a lot of the ball to be on Tyreek Hill. And I liked what the Eagles were doing. They were playing a lot of cover two shell, and they tried to limit a lot of those big plays and make them target in the middle of the field. And I mean, Eagles defense did their job. I mean, they only, they, they, this, this, I mean, Tyreek Hill, 11 receptions, 88 yards and that one touchdown. And I know that touchdown was a great fade route to Hill. And it was, and because Terrell Edmonds was late on his assignment and Sidney Brown was almost there, but come on, it's very tough for, to stop Tyreek Hill. Cause he's so damn ridiculous and fast, but, oh, come on, man. It was, it was very, very. That's all I could say. Um, but I did know, but um, I think that, but one thing you got to talk about more, the secondary stepped up big time. You know, at, near the end of the game, the Dolphin, um, the Eagles were leading, we're taking a 24-17 lead. Dolphins are driving towards the end zone. Third and eight play. Tua is throwing a deep pass intended for Raheem Mostert, but he gets picked up by big play Darius Slay. Just what we needed. Great defensive calling by Sean Desai overall. Darius Lee comes off with that pick. That was a game changer moment, and it leads 
And from there, Jalen Hurts is able to lead on to that drive to burn off the clock and kill any hopes for the Dolphins. So with this, like one thing I noticed that Jalen Hurts, he was playing with a with a with like a bad knee or like an ankle, but so far he, he's been toughening out and the defense and offense stepped up. And once that I noticed the Dolphins had 10 penalties, whereas the Eagles had none. I mean, they did have some, but they were both negated. But hey, I saw this Dolphins fan trying to make plays of like all penalties, quote unquote penalties that the Eagles committed and all that. Yes, we committed penalties, but they were negated because y'all's teams couldn't get your discipline together. So, hey, we beat the number one offense. Eagles are back, baby. Any final thoughts on that? No, I mean, this was exactly what the Eagles needed to establish their authority in the NFC. And right now, they're the best team in the NFC. I'll say that for sure. Go Birds, baby. Six and one. And we did it on Kelly Green Knight. The throwbacks. You cannot lose to that. It's better than the Cowboys. It, I think the Kelly Green jersey is the best alternative jersey I've seen so, so far. I'm being biased right now because they beat the. We shut down that number one office. We shut them. Yes. Yes, y'all did. So now, speaking of um, good NFC or AFC teams, um, we are now going to move on to the Masala Games of the Week recap. And I'm going to start with the Ravens versus Lions. Oh boy, go ahead. <laughs> what happened here? I have no idea. <laughs> what happened here, Lions? The Ravens massacred a bunch of lions, exterminated them from the safari, 38 to 6. The lions are near extinction. It's it, it was a nature documentary disaster. That's what happened here for sure. Um <laughs> Ravens becoming <laughs> carnivorous and, and bloodthirsty and defeated the Lions there. But there was one Raven amongst this pack of Ravens, and that was Lamar Jackson. That was really the, you know, the machine that chewed through this entire Lions pride. Um, and that was engineered by Todd Munkin. And they're finally showing what a Munkin-led offense looks like. And Boy, was it beautiful to watch. I mean, just precision, short passing with an emphasis in a deeper RPO passing game built off an inside zone run scheme. Now, this sounds like a bunch of football jargon, but that basically means you run effectively between your offensive linemen, you gain good amount of yards, you keep short uh, passing short so that you can trick the defense into playing the short game so that you can hide deeper passing uh, games outside uh, or, or, or you can hide it with that short passing game. If you build an efficient short passing game, you can fool the defense with a good selection of deep passes. And that's what the Ravens have been doing. You can really see this because the Ravens, you know, run through uh, run through the inside gaps 43% of the time, which is tied for the third highest in the entire league. And they line up in shotgun formation 70% of the time, which is the fifth highest in the entire NFL league. So shotgun formation means that, you know, the QB is 
three or four yards away from the offensive line with a running back to the right or left of the QB, uh, depending on the formation of the play. And so this basically means that, you know, it's very confusing because it could either mean that the QB is going to hand off the ball to the to the running back or he's going to fake the handoff and then throw the ball. Right, so it's a very good uh, formation to fool the defense in um, deciding whether or not they're going to defend the pass or defend the run. So the fact that they are in shotgun formation 70% of the time signifies that they're building a heavy you know, RPO passing offense, which is a run-pass option passing offense. And that's that's really good. At, you know, That's what Lamar is really good at, right? Quick, short throws running using his running ability but you know if the wide receiver is open hitting it deep because he has a really really good arm they also play in one tight end personnel 61 percent of the time which again signifies a more uh you know play action you know rpo sort of uh, uh passing offense right so uh and this you know the statistics bear this fact right they're sixth in run pass option plays run and fifth in uh adjusted net yards per attempt so that means not only do they run a lot of rpo they're very effective at gaining yards without taking a lot of sacks on this rpo in this rpo run scheme so it's really showing uh the you know, effectiveness of this Todd Munkin offense paired with Lamar Jackson's, you know, insane ability to throw the ball. Um, going forward, like, you know, going a little bit deeper into just how effective Lamar Jackson's, um, you know, uh, Lamar Jackson's uh, effectiveness was, is he threw 21 times out of 27 attempts for 357 yards, three touchdowns, uh, I believe zero interceptions, 8.2 intended air yards per pass attempt. So they were throwing deep, right? 24 expected points added from Lamar, the highest passing EPA per play in all of the games this week, the highest overall EPA per play in this entire week, and their O-line helped. Zero sacks, zero hits, only one pressure, one knockdown. Right. Also, Lamar Jackson posted the highest passing grade this, this week under pressure. Eight for nine for 238 yards and two touchdowns when the Lions pass rush moved him off his spot. And he produced four big-time throws, no turnover-worthy plays, and the Lions defense pressured him on 37.5% of his dropbacks, but no sack again, right? And Lamar Jackson was excellent, right? So this passing game has been set up in these past couple of weeks very ineffectively, but this game really showed the fullest extent of this passing offense, right? Just explosive, brilliant, simple Easy to use both, uh, you know, Lamar's and this offensive weaponry strengths, which is, you know, running this football with Patrick Ricard and 
all of these running backs and Lamar Jackson himself, right? So they're using all of the weapons that they have available and building a scheme around them instead of bringing in a scheme and forcing the players to adjust to them. That's what makes a good offensive coordinator is using the weapons that you have to build an explosive offense. Now, that was just their passing offense. They also targeted the Lions defense with the run game. 27 rushing attempts, 146 rushing yards, 5.4 yards per carry, and two rushing touchdowns. So it was a slow ground and pound, part of this RPO passing offense, and they used it to apply the pressure and then kill the Lions with the brilliant pass attack. So really, it was offensive excellence at show. And, you know... For the Lions offense, it was quite the opposite, right? Jared Goff became the goofball again. He was under tremendous pressure. Five sacks, nine pressures, uh, two hits, two knockdowns, one interception, and ended with a negative 13.3 EPA on pass. That means he gave the lie, uh, he gave the Ravens essentially two touchdowns with his performance. He costed the Lions almost two touchdowns worth of points because of his performance. The fourth lowest EPA per dropback, seventh lowest dropback success rate, 2.7 completed air yards per pass attempt. So they were throwing short and they couldn't even succeed, right? That's how tremendous this Ravens pass defense was and this Ravens pass rush was against the Lions offense. And it's not like the Lions O-line is not bad. It's they're one of the best offensive lines in this in, in the league, but it's just the Ravens became were, were so much more effective uh against this Lions offense than the Lions defense was against the Ravens. And I had a tweet, I don't know if uh many people saw it, but you know, uh, quite a uh, quite a few amount of people did see it, and I was saying that it was a uh, in response to uh, a tweet from somebody else saying how many touchdowns is, is Lamar going to have this game, and I said zero because the Lions' defense was stacked. Dang, boy, was I wrong because he accounted for all four touchdowns for the Ravens, um, and the Lions. <laughs> they 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 couldn't do anything on the offense, right? They weren't even able to run the ball effectively because you know it was also because the Ravens were scoring very quickly, so they didn't really focus on it. Um, so it, it was very limited, is is what you can say, right? They they only rushed fourteen times, but they passed fifty three times, fifty three times, because of the fact that the Ravens were just scoring so quickly. So. They were quickly outmanned on offense, and that's why the Lions lost. I mean, this was excellence from the Ravens top to bottom. And I don't know what to do with the Lions. Like, are they the third best team in the league or, or third best team in the NFC? Are they better than the Niners? I don't think so, but are they better than the Cowboys? Maybe. Like, both teams have shown uh ineptitude in certain situations right just just falling flat on their faces after getting knocked down so i don't know what to do with the lines but i definitely know that the ravens are one of the top teams in the afc that's for sure 
So that's it from the Lions versus the Ravens. What about your Masala game? Well, my Masala game, which was the Chargers versus the Chiefs. Yes, I get it. Taylor Swift was their big deal. I mean, no offense, it's kind of getting a bit annoying at the moment. I mean, she, she I mean, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm a Swifty, by the way. Um, but anyway, Chargers fell short again. I mean, they, and, and you know, it's even more shocking enough. They could not score in the entire second half. Chiefs win it 31 to 17. How do we get this? How do we know? Because of one man, Mr. Justin Herbert, he was wrecked by the defense. Like, honestly, very shaky performance. 17 for 30, 259 yards of passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. And how many times was he sacked in on? Was it one? Was it two? Was it three? Was it four? No, he was sacked five times. Like, a good five times, like, holy, holy mole. It was so bad. I mean, Mike Dana, Willie Gay, um, George Karloftis, Drew Tranquil, and Charles Omenihu. I mean, my God, this Chiefs defense is getting so much better every game with Steve Spagnolo leading up. I mean, the the in my honest opinion, the best Chargers player goes to Josh Palmer. He had himself a game, like five receptions for 133 yards. He had a 60-yard catch and run that led to a touchdown pass to Gerald Everett um, in the second quarter. But you, you got to talk about this Chiefs defense a little bit more. Charles Omenihu, um, according to PFF, um, when I was reading the stats for this game, 17.6% pass rush win rate and a 23.5% pressure rate with a sack? Oh my God. Like, this team is, this defense is now getting together. And it's just, it's, the Chiefs are, are, I think this is like one of their few, few, this is one of their, I don't know what the stat is, but the Chiefs have held their defense, held opposing offenses to like almost 20 points or less. I don't know if that's the correct stat line, but Anna, please check me out for me on that if you could do that. But oh my God. Then, of course, we got to give another game ball to the secondary. Trent McDuffie and Algerius Sneed, they had the hit sticks. They, they, I mean, they decided to bring out the hit stick button or release it or like unleash it. I, yeah, they unleashed the hit stick multiple times. And of course, we gotta give we gotta give some love to um to Brian Cook and Jerry Sneed, both having intercept, both with two interceptions. Mike Edwards and Justin Reed, those two that safety tandem is going so perfect. I mean, I'm super damn impressed with that. Um, but then again, let's switch on to the other side. And this is the part where I will be yawning frequently. Mahomes, 32 for 40 through 424 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. Played well. Yawn. Hey, he scored three touchdown passes in the first half alone. Yawn. Travis Kelsey, 12 receptions, 179 yards, one touchdown. I mean, he had himself a game. Of course, when Taylor Swift was in the audience, Anand, 
do I care about this? No. I no, do. you do not. And apparently Morgan Freeman doesn't either. Have you seen the interview where uh, Morgan Freeman is on one of these morning talk shows? And he is apparently a big Chiefs fan. And okay. the morning talk show hosts were asking him, you know, uh, so what do you think about this Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift combo? Uh, how much, you know, are you sleepless at night because of this? Yada, yada, yada. And Morgan Freeman in his classic, brilliant, I don't care type of attitude. He literally said, I don't think about them at all. Like he yeah. said it in that matter of fact, deadpan face. I was like, yes, thank you for speaking on behalf of the entire football fandom. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'll give one thing first, Taylor Swift. You did bring a bunch of people that don't know about football into the program. And I mean, if you want more information on that, go listen to New Heights, the New Heights podcast with Travis Kelsey, her boyfriend, and and future Hall of Fame center Jason Kelsey. I mean, back to the offense, Marquise Valdez Scanling, three catches for 84 yards and a touchdown. Rasheed Rice and Isaiah Pacheco, both having caught and catching touchdown passes. The Chiefs have won four straight games against the Chargers, dating back to that 2021 overtime thriller. I mean, the Chiefs, but then um, the Chiefs were leading 24 17 midway through the fourth quarter, but then. You gotta give a special welcome back to Miko Hardman. He returned from Kansas City after a trade with the New York Jets. He brings, he basically did, um, returned a punt for 50 yards back, and he brought them close enough to short field. And later play, and six plays later, Pacheco gets a touchdown pass out of hits Pacheco out of the backfield for a touchdown pass. I mean, Brandon Staley. He, he says this in his press conference. We didn't get any rhythm in the second half. Gee, I think your second half, you were shut down. And you kept on stalling. Ah, it's so bad. And the Chiefs, I, I mean, now that the fact that the Chiefs defense so far in, in the season, they have been forced to pick up the pieces for the struggling Kansas City offense, but now with you having Mahomes find his group back and the resurgence of Miko Hardman helping him, um, I don't know what to say about this, Anand, but Chiefs are definitely going to make a run back to Super Bowl. I honestly, I, I mean, unless there is a defense that can stop them. I, I mean, the Ravens are probably the closest team that can stop them in the AFC. The Dolphins, you know, yeah, they're explosive offensively, but their defense is kind of sus. Yeah, but get, but you know, here's a crazy stat: Patrick Mahomes has ha had three hundred twenty-one passing yards by halftime. Jesus, this is the fourth time in his career that he has been over three hundred. I'm reading an ESPN stats same thing. I'm like, and of course, most of it came for Travis freaking Kelsey. But the only – but then, again, this begs the question. Chargers defense, why the hell are you keeping Brandon Staley? He should be fired right now because right now, that's not helping Justin Herbert at all. You're inspiring no confidence from your defense whatsoever. And I have a beat-the-dome moment right here. End of the season – 
No, I have an expectation and a beat the doll. The Chargers should fire Brandon Staley by the end of the season. If this thing continues. And I feel sorry for Chargers lady, Marion Doe. You know her from the Cowboys game? Like, she was like, she's not an NFL plant. She's a real fan. Yep, yep, yep. The, but the, the, the crazy only, fan. The only bright spot of that Chargers defense was Asante Samuel Jr. I mean, he had a great interception in the first half to stall that Chiefs drive. Um, beautiful play. I, and to make to to just lead it to make it um 17 to 24. But the Chiefs offense, they were averaging 7.5 yards per play. Rookie Rashid Rice is emerging. He had six receptions for 64 yards and a touchdown. I mean, good lord. I mean, there was both injuries that happened, but Charles Austin Eckler, he limped off in the first half, but he returned in the game. Um, Everett left in the second half the second quarter with like a quad injury then chiefs linebacker nick bolton he unfortunately dislocated his wrist tackling wide receiver keenan allen so he's probably going to be on ir and i just hope for a speedy recovery for the product from frisco texas um any thoughts on this chargers um chiefs game other than the chargers charging away as usual It was the usual, usual for me. I mean, the Chiefs clearly prove that they're the best team in the AFC. There's not really anybody who's going to stop them. Um, and, you know, Travis Kelsey's just doing Travis Kelsey things. So that's it, you know. There's not much to say about this victory. Like, I thought it would be closer, but it just, you know, it's, it's surprising because... Um, this is the first time Mahomes has like a top five defense, and that is scary. Yeah, so. they're, they're clicking at the right time. Exactly. All righty. Uh, that's going to conclude the um, Masala game segment of the week, the recap. And now we're going to move on to the Bunch Minute recap. Let's go. Starting with the NFC Raiders versus the <laughs> Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears won 30 to 12 in the battle of the backups. Tyson Badgent versus Brian Hoyer. And Tyson oh Badgent is causing a QB controversy in Chicago. That's the only thing that I'm looking for from a beleaguered Packers fan. It's been two months and I'm already missing A Rod and Devontae. Anyways, the Bears now have the same record. As the Packers, are the Packers the new Bears? Hmm. I don't want. I, I I don't know what to say. I I don't want that answer to. Uh, I don't want that question to be answered. Honestly. Uh. So now I'm gonna move on. Giants versus Commies. Giants win fourteen to seven. It went exactly how you would think two bad teams playing each other would go. Defenses are claiming trophies. Offenses are suffering due to horrendous QB play. And coaches are going bald with the amount of hair pulling that they have to do to make things work when everything is hitting the fan. That is what happens when two bad teams go head to head. Next one Falcons versus Bucks. Falcons win 16 13. And the biggest story ain't Desmond Ritter, it's Arthur Smith. Why? 
for benching Bijan Robinson after one touch the entire game. Not benching, but reducing his play to just one touch the entire game only because it's the least expected thing to do. I, I, I'm, 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 but my mind is boggled by that. Wow. I, yeah, I, I'm sorry, Falcons fans. You don't deserve having such talented roster being master planned into disaster by Arthur Smith here. Like this is just pathetic. Uh, I just don't want to talk more about Arthur Smith. I'm going to move on to the Cards versus Seahawks. Seahawks win 20 to 10. Predictable victory. Cards remained one of the worst teams in the league, and the Seahawks remaining a surprisingly decent team with some fantastic fantasy football players on offense. Jake Bobo for the win. Um, Niners versus Vikings. Vikings pull off the upset 22 17. On a Monday night primetime game for Kirk Cousins and the one time I support the Niners, y'all crap the bed like this. You let Kirky Kirk beat the primetime Kirk Cousins curse. Why? How? How did this happen? I have no idea, but I technically it's a benefit for the Eagles because now the Niners. Lost losing back to back games. The Eagles are number one in the NFC. That is true. That is true. Um, that's it from the NFC side. What about the AFC? All right. Browns versus Colts. Um, okay, how do I start this game? This surprisingly turned out to be a high scoring game. If I told you the Browns beat the Colts by 39 to 38, you would have told me I was get out of here. Damn. <laughs> exactly. I mean, this is a team in which Gardner Minshew was facing the combined efforts of PJ Walker and Deshaun Watson. <laughs> I mean, there was a couple of things. Death, taxes, Miles Garrett just destroying any game plan that you had. And blatant, blatant ref ball. I mean, this was ref ball at its finest. And Miles Garrett, if you want to talk about this guy, I mean, what can you say? He had nine total tackles, seven solo, two sacks, one tackle for a loss, one pass deflection, one pass defender deflected, two QB hits. I, I don't know what to say about this, but ref ball at the end. I mean, with two questionable passing interferences and Jim Ursay is screaming good things. You know that the world is coming to an end when Ursay says stuff like this. When you know there's blatant ref ball there. But, okay, Bills versus Patriots. Um, Pats win 29-25. Um, I'm the guy with the meme with the meme. Like, you know, I'm it's that one meme where I'm the guy having a stick and poking at it, saying, uh, Bills, poke, poke, poke. What are you doing? Um, Mac Jones. I mean, slow starts and Josh Allen's trying to target Trayvon Diggs way too much and throwing picks, along with injuries on that Bills defense, they allowed Mac Jones and the Patriots to give Belichick his 300th win. Mac Jones with that one yard touchdown pass to Mike Gesecki with 12 seconds left. Like he, Bill Belichick is now the third coach in NFL with 300 regular season wins. 
Benny's Trail and Belichick Trails, Don Shola and George Hallis. Um, I mean, and, and then Mac Jones, 25 for 30, 272 yards, two touchdowns, and they snap that and they snap a big losing streak. So congratulations on that. You do not get any cookie from me. I mean, jo uh, it was so bad. Like, jo I mean, Josh Allen had a pick thrown, and he lost a fumble. So it was bad all together. But, uh, but you cannot win if you're throwing 12 targets and half of them is going to Stephon Diggs way too much. Just saying. And then... On a, here's my favorite game, Steelers versus Rams. And what do you think happened in this game? I mean, Puka Nakua and George Pickens, both of them were great. Puka Nakua helped me out so much on my fantasy. Eight receptions for 154 yards. But guess what happened? How did the Chiefs win this game? That high-end talent and ref ball. Here I come to save the day. And we got to talk about this ending. And that is, spoiler alert, is my Masala moment of the week. Anna, we got to break down that play. <laughs> the greatest play ever. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. I think with this game and, that B and all the BS that I think Urinating Tree will talk about this. Anand, this confirms one thing. The Steelers are definitely going to the Super Bowl. It's inevitable. I mean, I have to change my pick on the, on the Chiefs, but the Steelers are going to the Super Bowl. And then Jags versus Saints. Jags win 31-24. It turned out to be somewhat entertaining at the end of the game, but... um. Travis, a banged up Trevor Lawrence did enough to pull away in the victory with the victory in spite of turnovers and a banged up and penalties. I mean, that game kind that game looked ugly, although it was high scoring. But then again, I think it's more of that Dennis Allen pressed hit. It was like that Dennis Allen type of offense. I don't know who their offensive coordinator is, but he is bad. Um, I mean, like Travis E.T., I mean, Travis Etienne with two touchdowns along with a full, full um, I'm going to get this right, Foisade, Foisade, Foisade Aluakon returning it with a pick six and a late Christian Kirk touchdown to win. Saints offense is so out there. I mean, the, the only highlight that I saw about the Saints offense, it was so bad that there were fans on the Thursday night football game that had a sign saying Amazon Prime of searching for a to order a Saints offense, <laughs> it was so, it was it was the best thing. It was the best. It thing was the best. Since, uh, the Lions and the Saints fans, uh, you know, putting you know, yeah. the brown paper bags on their heads. Like I, this was awesome. And the and the best part of this, uh, the best part of the Saints loss, it it that second round pick that the Eagles have from the Saints is looking so good. Um, but credit to Alvin Kamara. He had 153 yards from scrimmage with a mix of runs and catches. That guy is still effective. But, I mean, Chris Olave, ugh, he was – I think there was like yelling at when Derek Carr was yelling at Chris Olave for a bad route and all of that. And next thing you know, Chris Olave gets called – gets caught by the police the next couple of days. They say, oh, I play for the Saints. Is he an idiot? 
Yeah, he was trying to bribe the officer. Hey, bro, well, I'm a saint. It was like, yeah, that should be uh, uh, that should be an arrested offense because that office is so bad. <laughs> 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 uh, added yeah. to the list of charges. Oh, God. conspiracy to commit a hor a horrendous offense and making Thursday night games not fun to watch. Like honestly, exactly. it is so bad. <laughs> But yeah. Alrighty. That's it for the Punch Minute recap. Uh, very eventful Punch Minute recap, that's for sure. Now we're going to move on to the Masala moment of the week. Uh, for me, as I mentioned before, it's going to be Jake Bobo with Let's a 15.9% probability of making a catch by AWS in the end zone. Dives, makes it with a toe tap to tap it in back end of the pylon of the end zone. Jake Bobo, ladies and gentlemen, go watch the YouTube highlight. Bobolicious right there. And now we have to talk about the Masala game moment of the week. Anand, you know what it's going to be? The fourth and one play between the Rams and the Steelers. Yes. That I like to call, and that I would like to bring up of what I call Arda Bobby Yenada Tamil for what in the what the hell? What was that? That's what I'm gonna call it. All so right. here's the breakdown on the play. This is a fourth and one play. Remember, folks, fourth and one. I um I'm, I'm still okay there okay there it is um fourth so fourth and one kenny pickett they're lined up at the la 38 for what and they just need one yard kenny pickett rushes tries a qb sneak they it, it was no tush push but it's a qb sneak formation the ghost left and somehow he doesn't he ends up falling short right it should be ram's ball Yep. However, they bring the chains, and apparently they adjust the refs, adjusted the ball, and gave him the extra yard. Dude, that was <laughs> Sean McVay's face of just utter disbelief, shock, disappointment, rage. I was like, How "What is this referee?" I have no idea. Well, what were the steps again? Like denial, rage, acceptance. I I don't think he's at acceptance yet, man. Oh no, I don't think anybody's gonna be at acceptance at this point. Everybody's gonna stuck uh gonna be stuck at rage. Blatant rough ball at the wit for the win for the Steelers. Dude, what I, was that? I I mean this was a game I don't know what to say. <laughs> I mean, you had T. I mean, V saw like one of the uh, what was even what was a lot crazy in a lot of things was like we saw an interception which like TJ Watt like nearly run like TJ Watt runs it for, to the LA center for like close enough to the thing. I was like, oh, it's gonna be a good defensive hold, right? But 
And then Brett Maher's missing field goal kicks. He missed three, and guess what? He got cut the next day. Typical Cowboys, but oh my god, like this is blatant ref ball, man. <laughs> we have two. They, they need to. I want to see. And here's a rule that I'm favor. I would like to bring up. Um, hear me out on this, okay? I want to see that the NFL. I want a rule in which the NFL, like coaches, can challenge a very questionable penalty. For stuff like this. Especially because in the last two minutes. The last two minutes. Allow one challenge and then that's it. Exactly. Because stuff like this has happened, you know, every single year. Where it's a game-ending play call and the refs just bungle it. It's bad. Yeah. Oh, that's all I gotta say. My and this is a masala moment or uh Pavi Yenada. Yeah, yeah. All righty. That's it for the week seven recap. Now we're gonna move on to the week eight preview, starting with oh boy. Packers. Oh boy. Packers, 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 Packers versus Vikings. So, yeah, apparently the Vikings blitz the most in the entire league. They have blitzed 50 more times than any other team in the entire league. So it's going to be a long day for us Packers fans. Aaron Jones is likely day-to-day, -day, even though he's not on the injury list. Matt LaFleur said we're going to take him. You know, we're going to be smart with his usage. So that basically means he's not going to play more than five snaps in the entire game. So now the Packers are obviously going to seriously struggle. Offensively, Love is one of the worst QBs under pressure. He has only 55% completion percentage. And he's 28th out of 32 starting QBs in terms of passer rating under pressure. Definitely not good. Now, according to some stats, the Green Bay offensive line is actually the best at handling pressure. The fewest pr pressure percentage allowed, the third fewest sacks allowed, top 15 in terms of time in pocket allowed. So it seems like they can give Jordan Love some time to throw, but even if the O-line handles the pressures, pressure well, the receivers have to run open, and LaFleur has to scheme up some open routes for the receivers. But that doesn't happen because the receivers are the 12th lowest for the Packers in, in terms of average yards of separation in the entire season. So that's not going to help. But even if everything goes well from receiver execution to O-line protection to LaFleur scheming, Jordan Love has to throw the ball well, but he rarely does. So now I have no hope left offensively the only hope i have is for defense keeping it close but that is going to be highly unlikely because curse because kirk cousins is playing out of his mind right now under pressure he's he has the fourth highest passer rating 10th lowest interception percentage and the fifth highest touchdown percentage in terms of explosive, he was, the, he was the most explosive passer 
this past week against the Niners defense. He went 9 for 12 for 201 yards, two scores on 10-plus yard passes. So he finished second in terms of passer rating for that, sixth in adjusted completion percentage, 75%, and 10th in the PFF grade, according to PFF. So if he was that explosive against the Niners defense, I give him all the shot against this measly Packers defense. Now, even if Kirk, for some reason, is not playing at his best, Jordan Addison is the best rookie wide receiver in the league right now. He has six touchdowns, which leads all rookies, and all other rookies have combined with just two touchdowns. And the Packers are 29th in terms of DVOA against wide receiver number one. So what's going to happen? Jordan Addison is going to be lined up in the wide receiver one position, most likely the X uh, receiving route, especially since Justin Jefferson is still on IR. The Vikings receivers are also fifth in the league in terms of the most amount of yards of separation on, on an average route. So they're going to have a ton of space, and Kirk Cousins is just going to throw to the open wide receiver. Now, our saving grace on the defensive side is Rasul Douglas. So he is apparently the number one ranked cornerback by PFF. So hopefully he can keep Addison in control. But I don't have much to say here. I fear the Vikings are, are going to carve up the Packers defense, even with an excellent pass rush led by Rashawn Gary. So I predict the Vikings are going to win 30 to 20. Packers have no shot to win this game. They're going to try and keep it close in the third and the fourth quarter, as they usually do, but it's going to fall short. Wow. That was quick. <clears throat> yeah, there's not Don't much to hope. say about this. Don't give so. up hope. Don't give no, up. I mean, I, th there's not much to say uh, uh, in terms of having hope. So, yeah. I'm an optimistic guy, so probably won't. <laughs> But now, with this, we have the, the we have another NFC East matchup. The Eagles versus the Commanders. So, Commanders, I see you. Seven points against the Giants. I mean, on a, that's definitely elite-looking offense right there. I mean, Sam Howell's playing out of his mind. And no, he's been playing like complete garbage. And with this, let's do two ways. Eagles offense against the, the commander's defense. So with this, the Eagles offense is entering ninth in offensive overall DVOA, according to FTN Fantasy, uh, 13th in pass, 13th in the pass, and third in the rush. And I and they're facing up against the commander's defense, which has been, I don't know, how do I say this? Atrocious, bad, like le garbage. They are the 26th in defensive DVOA overall. 27th against the pass and 14th against the rush. So, Eagles, I would see them go oh, their, their best. The Eagles' success has been going apparently going 11 personnel. And according to, um, and this is a brilliant stat, a brilliant combination of statistics done by Shane Half. Of um, Bleeding Green Nation, the SBN, the SB Nation, um, home for the Philadelphia Eagles, and using from Sports Info Solution, FTN, and ESPN, 
um, if we were able to see that the Eagles success rate and from 11 personnel. So the basically with that, um, the gap run hasn't been a huge part. Mainly the Eagles run a lot of heavy zone, but the Eagles O-line, you have to protect Jalen Hurts. Because remember, like, uh, like of course, like Jalen Hurts is toughing, uh, but these games against Washington have been very, very weird. I mean, I've seen when I was there at the link watching this game, it was too damn close. Cannot let that happen. Cannot. And with and with and all because of these slow starts, the Eagles have to score and have to execute well in the red zone and attack. It no excuse whatsoever, and for and the, the first thing you have to do to protect Jalen Hurts, Jordan Mailata is going to be facing a lot of pressure against Chase Young. Last last um last six games, Chase Young has had five sacks so far. He's stepping up, but but like the thing is, Eagles have to punch them in the mouth, like the the Washington the Commanders defense in the mouth immediately. And, and and we saw Jonathan Allen swearing and blowing off after that horrible loss of the Giants. But Eagles, you have to build through that run game. It is an understandable Commanders defense. It was they they're able to shut down that run game last last time. But the play design call has to be smart. I don't want to rely on Kenny Gainwell. Repeat after me: Do not rely on Kenny Gainwell in the early downs. We need more of DeAndre Swift. And put and use Rashad Penny unless it's in for the playoffs. And plus, I like the way that we used Dallas Goddard last game. Let's use him a little bit more. Hurts, he has to protect the ball. Try not to hold on it too much. And he, and by the way, crazy stat, everyone. He's up to 10 turnovers this season so far. Very concerning. Please, for the love of God, release it quick. Release the ball quicker than three seconds, unless you're trying. To, you're escaping and making a positive big play. But then again, your the execution in the red zone is the biggest concern. That's where the Eagles need to win these rounds. If you're going to go with those extended long drives, you got to execute in the red zone. You have to finish it. And I want to see more of that 11, 12 personnel. 12 personnel is when you're having two tight ends, and one running back. And 11 personnel is one tight end and one running back. Have to use Dallas Goddard, at, Dallas Goddard a lot more. And I know A.J. Brown is the father of Emmanuel Forbes and a lot of those in a lot of that secondary because the commanders have given up, Have a, the commander's secondary has allowed big games opposing receivers. Marvin Mims against the Broncos had 113 yards and one cat touchdown. Stefan Diggs, eight catches for 111. AJ Brown, nine catches for 175 and two TDs. Two tutties. DJ Moore burned them. Eight catches for 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 230 and three touchdowns. Do I need to go even further? You got, I think this is where we'll be seeing a lot more 11 personnel, but with Emmanuel Forbes likely being to sit down. And by the way, when AJ Brown was scoring those touchdowns against Emmanuel Forbes, Forbes was crying at the end of the game because he was getting burned. But I could see, but the commanders have known to play very tough. I could see them, I could see Jack Del Rio developing a plan to bring in a lot of that pass rush and use a lot and see a variety of coverages and some highs 
some high and split safety looks. I could see Kendall Fuller or Benjamin St. Jude's crowding and trying to match up their best corner against um, AJ. So with that, this could be a big game for Dallas Goddard and Devontae Smith to take off. I mean, unless AJ Brown decides to torch another QB. Um, hell, I, you know what would be really funny uh, funny in this game? If Julio Jones catches a touchdown pass in the red zone offense, <laughs> I would be dying. I, I think I'd be laughing my head off. And um, and I think like with this one, the Eagles should have the edge over the commanders, but we have seen weird things happen with commanders and Eagles because the commanders have always played the Eagles tough. I had 50 heart attacks in that game watching it. But now let's switch it over. Eagles defense versus the commander's offense. Now, according to according from according to DVOA stats, the Eagles are the 10th the 10th ranked defense in DVOA, 17th against the pass, first number number one defense against the rush. Thank you very much. We will take that title back, Detroit, after y'all got ran over. Um again, and we are facing a commander's team. And um, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, do you want to know what the commanders are ranked in DVOA right now? <laughs> Hear me out. They're 27th overall in total offense. They're 30th in the pass. And they're 11th in the rush. <laughs> oh my God. This is just perfect. But... Before the before we can go on, I can go on with the breakdown. We got to talk about the recent acquisition Howie Roseman, the general manager for the Eagles, made. They upgraded in the secondary by trading for two-time All-Pro safety Kevin Byard from the Titan, the Tennessee Titans. The Titans received they receive um, a 2024 fifth round and sixth round draft picks, and safety Terrell Edmonds. Anand, what's your thought on the trade? Jeez, again. Cheese. They're just cheesing everybody, and that's the greatness of Howie Roseman. Uh, yeah, high class robbery, and I and apparently there's rumors, according to Diane Rossini, that he is not done making a deal. If he fleeces like another, let's say a corner like Pat Sertain or um, someone else, but I know he's looking for linebacker. But ironically, our linebackers have been playing pretty well, but coverage could be a good work on, but. Then again, Kevin Byard, he's a great playmaker in the secondary and a leader. He, is not, he has not missed a game so far in his playing career. And he's also attended the same college as Reed Blankenship, uh, Middle Tennessee State. And Blankenship has, um, has worked out with Kevin Byard in the, in the offseason so far. But he has had um, – he's been picked up. He has picked off at least four passes in seven of his his um, NFL season of his seven of his NFL seasons, including a league eight lead, league leading eight in 2017. By the way, first team All Pro in 2017 and 2021. I just love it. You can uh, basically I can imagine him starting him and Reed Blankenship up on top. Then you can bring in Sidney Brown to play slot to play slot in any um, three two look three look safety um, or nickel dime packages. Sean Desai is going to have so much fun with this defense, man. And the biggest thing the Eagles have to, uh, the Eagles defense has to do is to get to Sam Howell. Sam Howell has been sacked about 40 times. And 
According to a crazy stat that I saw in Philly Voice, shout out to Jimmy Kemsky, Sam Howell is on pace to to be uh, he's on pace to be sacked 97 times on month. Three short of what three short of a century. Do you think that someone can do you think they will pull it off? Any defense coming up on Sam Howell to get 100 sacks on it? Wouldn't that be amazing? Any but but yeah, with this in mind, um, we gotta talk about the we have to look at this. Um, the Eagles defensive line, they have to hit home and wrap him properly. And and we have an up an injury update. Their left guard Sadiq Charles will be unavailable for this game. So looks like the interior in Josh Sweat and um Josh. No, the interior combination of Fletcher Cox, Jordan Javis, Jalen Carter, Milton Williams. They have to hit home on Sam Howell and wrap him up properly. I'm having flash, um, flashbacks from that Commanders game um, in which Howell was able to escape. But on the defensive edges, Charles Leno and against Charles Leno and Andrew Wiley, I would trust more in Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat to have these matchups. Um, week four, the Eagles sacked um, Sam Howell five times, although Nicholas Morrow had um, three of them. But that Eagles D-line basically destroyed that commander's lineup. So I think, but then looking at the stat, Jordan Davis is reported as questionable with a hamstring, which is a bit of a concern, but I would keep him out for this game. Um, but, and then uh, speak on the commander's offense. They're one of their weapons. Sam, Sam Curtis Samuel is reported questionable with a foot injury. Um, they will be getting back Sam Cosme and Cole Turner, Jonathan Allen and Montez Sweat. And St. Juice has been limited, but he'll be playing most likely. But in this, but in this case, like this has to be the time in which number one, you have to stop the run. You got to you got to stop Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson Jr. and get the and at least pick more turnovers. I mean, I could, I mean, with the way Eric Bieniemy is running this offense, I, I mean, this is an eleven personal offense. They use a lot of motions in RPO, usually a Kansas City tied, but with design rollouts. We've seen um, Terry scary Terry McLaurin being the most disruptive guy. That's who the Eagles need to stop. Terry McLaurin, you got to lie. If he's lining up in the slot, I mean, good luck with Josiah Scott. I would also try and use the UDFA rookie, Eli Ricks, but I would recommend Sean Desai going a little bit more press cover it. And I think I would try go defenses doing a light box too high defense using a blitz try and go two safety looks hell bring sydney brown in the slot in some cases and try and, and like chip away terry McLaurin. but uh, but i would also keep also look out for their um their their tight ends and logan thomas and and also second wide receiver jahan dotson these are t the, they cannot be looked ahead try cover two or cover three safety ground and blanket chip and then bring in and then hell, you know, be even crazy putting Bayer to play soft because Kevin Bayard is so versatile. You could put him in the you could put him in the free zone. You could you could put him in slot. You could put him in zone. He plays so damn well, man. I am so excited to see Kevin Bayard come into action. But you have to stop Terry McLaurin. If you're able to stop him and force the turnovers, because the commanders have been giving away the ball at least like 1.6 times per game. We have Eagles have to win that turnover battle, and Jalen Hurts cannot turn over. I would think this is going to be a dogfight. The Eagles will win a game 31-24, to something like that.
What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the Eagles are going to win as well. Um, this is not going to be a close game, so I agree with you on that one. Alrighty, uh, moving on to the Masala games of the week. For me, I'm going to select the Niners yet again versus the Bengals. Why? Because this is a testament for Brock Purdy to see if he's really an elite QB or if he's just a system one when things just work in his favor. All right, so it's a last time for both Brock Purdy and for me to either put up or shut up. So, yeah, for the Niners to win, they got to run the football. Do not let Brock Purdy control the game. Just run the football, especially to the side away from Trey Hendrickson. The Bengals are only 19th in terms of rushing DVOA and 25th in adjusted line yards. So CMC better have a 100-plus yard rush, uh, running game. But the Bengals have a very nice situation uh, for, for them to win here. First off, if they protect Joey B, they have a shot, right? Joey because B? Oh, Joe, Joe Burrow? Burrow. Joe Burrow, oh, yeah. If I they protect Joe, no, I either mean, this is a nickname that I call him. Um, okay, but if they protect Joe Burrow, then they have a shot at beating the Niners. Why? Joe Burrow is one of the worst quarterbacks in terms of under pressure. He has a lower under pressure passer rating than Jordan Love, so he is not good, especially when they're facing the Niners third highest pressure percentage generated defense. Now, Joe Burrow is not Kirk Cousins like he was on the previous Monday night who withstood that pressure or was explosive. And the Bengals this year in terms of offensive speed, uh, offensive performance, 23rd DVOA, Ooh. 22nd rush, and 25th in the pass. Damn. So they have not been... Now, obviously, this is the first four or five weeks of the season where they were really un ineffective. But even against the Seahawks, they weren't that great. It was the Bengals' defense that really won them the game. But this time, this is the time for them to put up also because they have a, a good matchup for Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow if Joe Burrow is protected. Especially if they attack Jamar Chase and line him up on the left side of the defense, they yeah. have a shot at exposing the Niners here. The Niners are only 14th in DVOA, right, uh, on mm -hmm. the right-hand side. So, you know, the left side of the offense for the cha uh, for, for Jamar Chase is the right-hand side for the defense. And they're ninth in DVOA versus wide receiver one. Everywhere else, they're in the top five, right? So, really, this is the place for them to target. Throw it to Jamar Chase, throw it to the right side, throw it short, right? Just just get the ball moving away from their speedy linebackers and away from that pass rush, right? Plus, the Niners run zone 69.4% of the time, which Woo! is fourth in the entire league. So this is another opportunity for Jamar Chase to get into those zones and, you know, stick in them so that he can get the ball effectively from Joe Burrow. Now, unfortunately, the Bengals, they're dead last in terms of average yards per separation. So they have to do better. Otherwise, this is going to be a long night for the offense. Uh, lastly, 
for the Bengals to win, they need to run the football to set up the play action. The Niners have the sixth highest play action completion completion percentage allowed. So if the Bengals were able to, you know, run the football effectively for, you know, the first first uh first down, build up a good second set of second or third downs and then use the play action passing to attack the zone defense that uh, you know, the Niners typically run. They have a way of keeping the ball away from Brock Purdy, keeping the Niners' defensive pass rush tired by just continuously moving the football down the field, getting chunk by chunk by chunk. Then they have a shot of winning. Mm-hmm. For me, I believe they're going to win 27 to 23. But I believe this time it's going to be the Bengals' defense that's going to get a last minute pressure on Brock Purdy and force the game ending turnover. Ooh. Ending the saga of Brock Purdy being an elite QB. Back to irrelevant. Yep, back to Mr. Irrelevant. Damn, that's harsh, bro. That is harsh. Well, my game of the week goes to the Cleveland Browns versus the Seattle Seahawks. This basically is a battle of two tough defenses. With okay quarterbacks and nice wide receivers. Like, literally. I mean, the Cleveland Browns' number one defense and the and the and both and them having an okay quarterback in PJ Walker and some nice wide receiver weapons, Donovan Peoples Jones, Amari Cooper. Oh man, I see. he's still haunting me to this day. And David and Joku. Um Elijah Moore, David Bell, and then on the Seahawks side, a great defense. Like, of course, with the second coming of the Legion of Boom. And you have DK and then an okay quarterback in Geno Smith, who is helping you win games as a game manager. Then a a great asset of, of wide receivers like DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jackson Smith and Jigba, um, Noah Fant, Jake Bobo. And Kenny Walker the third and Zach Charbonnet. Basically, let's do let's do a bit of a breakdown. Browns defense versus the Hawks offense, the Seahawks offense. Okay. How in okay, and this is a crazy stat that I found from four for four. It is a NFL analytics site, another NFL analytics site. They measure this and this section met like analyzes. Offensive line rankings and matchups to exploit for week eight. This is, and I was looking at the the matchups, and it is crazy. Like, and according to that thing, the Seahawks are ranked, they're the 16th ranked offensive line. How in God's name are they going to stop the terror that is the Browns defense? Do you scream? Do you yell? Do you forfeit or do you fight? Anand, help me out here. Do you scream, yell, forfeit, or fight? Fight. Fight it out. But how the hell do you stop Miles Garrett and Zadarius Smith from the edges? I mean, Stone Foresight has had a, a starting a second week after allowing only two pressures and zero QB hits, but it was against the Cardinals and Charles Cross. So, and Geno Smith has been sacked 13 times so far. 
I and but the and the, another huge thing that they have to keep in mind of is the the defensive coordinator that is Jim Schwartz, the same defensive coordinator that helped the Eagles win their very first Super Bowl against the greatest QB of all time, that is Tom Brady, with that Brandon Grand strip sack recovered by Derek Barnett, who I hope to God that he's traded away. Um, again, this defense, there has to be the way the Seahawks can stop it because this is the Browns offense, the defense secondary that has held five out of their six opponents to 200 yards or fewer in the air. Of course they were getting, they were letting Gardner Minshew throw over the throw over multiple times, but miles Garrett was a game wrecker. I mean, he had a blocked field goal. He had a fumble recovery for a touchdown. I mean, hell, you might as well put him as a tight end and let him score, honestly. Like, this guy can literally do anything. And beat the dull moment right here, Miles Garrett is a future Hall of Famer, first round, first ballot. And that's saying a lot because this guy is, is he's freaking terrifying. So, Most definitely. Yeah. No, no, he is terrifying, period. Hell, I would. I, I think I would do the third option, which is a forfeit and scream uncle along the way if I'm seeing Miles Garrett running towards me. Like, honestly, I'd run my ass off. And you wouldn't blame me, right? Don't blame me on that. But, okay, and enough with this. But there are a couple of things that I believe the, 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 Brown, the Seahawks need to do. They have to run. They got to try and run the ball. I mean... The way that they're able, that Geno Smith is able to perform well, is if they are, if they can run this, if they can run a ball against this terrifying front that is the Browns. I mean, you're dealing with a four-three defense. That's what Jim Schwartz likes to run. You're having Garrett, Dalvin Tomlinson, Zadarius Smith, Jordan Elliott, and don't forget their their the replacements. They're like the rotation with Ogbo Okoronkwo. I mean, who is making himself a name. And then, oh, by the way, don't forget, they have Jeremiah Owusu-Kamora, Anthony Walker Jr., and Sione Takitaki, who is returning. I mean, good Lord. And, and hey, their secondary is amazing. Um, Denzel Ward, their cornerback, he is, according to the Seahawks' website, he has had negative 19 EPA allowed and 0.9 yards allowed per coverage snap. And expect him to cover DK Metcalf, who is going to be returning from back. However, a ward has allowed th so far out of the four touchdown passes that the Browns have allowed, passing touchdowns that the Browns defense has allowed. Um, Denzel Ward has allowed three of the four of them. So this could be a matchup in which I could see DK Metcalf going after. But then with Tyler Lockett and Jackson Smith and Jigba, I could see uh, one matchup I could see is having Juan Thornhill and Grant Delpit attacking, going, coming from the middle. But hey, with Jake Bobo having a great game, I don't know if you will re replicate this because the Cleveland defense has only given up 16 explosive passes per pass place all year. It's going to be very hard throwing the ball for Geno Smith. I would suggest that they run the ball. You got to go, you have to mix up with a little bit of zone and toss options. I would say your best weapon to neutralize this Browns defense, if you have any chance. I mean, I'm saying if I'm underlined this word for me, if you have to allow, you have to feed Kenneth Walker. 
Let him run the ball. I mean, he's averaging 4.1 yards per rush uh, out of 109 rushing yards, 450 rushing. For, out of four out of 109 rushing attempts, he's had 450 rushing yards. So about 4.1 yards per rush. Allow feed him the rock. Go 11 or 12 personnel against this against the um against this against this defense, and 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 then only then open up with Noah and have Geno Smith distributed to Noah Fan. Hell, bring it. Hell, if you think if you see DK Metcalf taking long and you have a chance to make a to go for um to go for the long ball, attack it, but do not throw it into deep coverage. That is all I am going to say, because that's what because what the Browns will do, they will and what Jim Shorts will like to do, they will take away one of your strengths and make you try and beat you with others. Okay, you're gonna try and you're gonna try and beat us with um DK Metcalf. Fine, you'll take him out. See if see if you can beat us with Tyler Lockett. Oh, we can take him out too. Let's see if you can beat us with Jackson Smith and Jigbo, Jake Bobo, Kenneth Walker, Noah Fan. Make this try and beat us with any other players other than DK Metcalf. And the Browns offense against the Hawks defense. This is where I think is going to be another crazy mat, uh, another um, matchup. Uh, that I think will go a little bit more on the Seahawks' fa favor. So the Browns' offensive line, according to 4-4, they're probably the fifth ranked. Not bad at all. But P.J. Walker is not that QB. It cannot be Watson, Deshaun Watson, who's still in recovery. I don't know why the hell he started that game, but P.J. Walker, he's had some good, done some great things, especially in the half drives the last two games. But... He's unable to target those deep balls, especially with like Amari with um dro with droppings with case of like Amari Cooper, um Donovan People Jones. And plus, you're facing a re I think you're facing the second coming of the um the Legion of Boom. And I want to talk a little bit about this more. Jamal Adams is making is looking a lot more healthy. Outside linebacker Boy Mafe is attending, and bro, we have a contending. Um, line um, defensive rookie of the year uh, to, compared to Jalen Carter, I think it's going to be Devin Witherspoon, man, because he's been making a huge impact. You see those two, you see that big hit he laid on, on that Cardinals wide receiver when with that catch? Like, I haven't seen that big hit in a long time, but Witherspoon and Tariq Woolen, oh my God, this defense is becoming so much better. And and uh, and and Jordan Brooks and Bobby Wagner, they've been playing so well. And the Seattle has made tend to make backup QBs look like uh, look like, oh my God, it's so good. But the way that the Browns can win this game, you have to run the ball. You need more of Gerald Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt to help PJ Walker. But and then with that, you need to attack with the short passes because apparently Seattle has ranked twenty fifth in average and convert the third downs, get those first downs. Because apparently in long drives, the Seattle has ranked 25th in average time of possession, like their offense is old. The best type of defense you can give for the Seattle defense um, the, no, the, the, is to have those long drives for the Browns offense. You rest up that defense and make, and they're entering in fresh. So I would see a lot of run game with Jerome Ford and, um, and Kareem Hunt. But again, another crazy, and the thing is, but the Seattle's 
the Seahawks defense is only allowing 87.2 rushing yards per game. That's where Kevin Stefanski has to make his adjustments. He needs to be more creative. Maybe, maybe use a lot of motion. Hell, use Amari Cooper for one of those jet sweeps. Um, red zone. The Seattle's the Seahawks red zone, they're allowing 82% touchdowns via short passing game, but they're getting a piece in Frank Clark back. So that D that's the that Seahawks defense is gonna be very tough to crack, but overall. It's going to be a very, very low-scoring game. And honestly, as much as, as great as this Browns defense, the Seahawks are going to squeak it out. It's going to end with the help of that 12th man. Um, it's going to be a field goal game, Anand. I'm saying 18-15 Seahawks. What do you think? Is that reasonable or not? Uh, I would go 18-15 Browns. Oh, how only come? reason why? Yeah, only reason why I think the Browns' defense is far superior than the Seahawks' defense. Now, Seahawks' defense is going to keep it close because the Browns' offense is not that good, but the Browns' defense is Super Bowl worthy. So, I don't really see them giving the Seahawks a win here. So, yep, that's it for the yep, that's it for the Masala games of the week preview. That's it for the episode for today. So if you guys have enjoyed, please leave us a review at one of the four podcast platforms that we host this podcast on, Apple, Spotify, Google, and Pocket Cast, or send us an email at nflmasala at gmail.com, spelled as N-F-L-M-A-S-A-L-A at gmail.com, or Rakshak. You can find us on our Instagram. That is at NFL M A S A L A 2022. That is at NFL M A S A L A 2022. All lowercase. Or you can now follow us on Twitter or X at the same handle at NFL Masala 2022. And now we're going to hit you with our signature outro. Go pack, go. And fly, Eagles, fly. Take care and good luck to our Texas Rangers. In, in the World Series against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Good luck. And good luck to Team India. Let's go. Let's go.